This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Lord, life is challenging, and we need to receive your Spirit. We need to hear your voice. Pray, speak to us now, and assure us that we are beloved, and strengthen us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Immediately after this sermon, so two hours or so, only joking, um, immediately after the sermon, we are all going to witness a baptism. Watching from home, in the neighborhood, we're going to go to the back and witness a baptism. And we're going to see the whole thing. Apart from Caleb, he may close his eyes as the uh, water is poured. Now, some of you here may have seen hundreds of baptisms. For others, it might be your first. Some may have been baptized. Others may not have been. But here's my question. What is the benefit in baptism? And what is the benefit of watching a baptism? That is my focus this morning. And much could be said and has been said about the benefits of baptism. But I'm just going to focus us in on our gospel reading, Luke chapter 3, those last few verses. And I'm going to ask these three questions. Number one, what is significant about Jesus' baptism? Number one, what is significant about his baptism? Number two, what is significant about today's baptism? And thirdly, what could be significant for us who are watching? So first, what is significant about Jesus' baptism? Now, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, present this moment in which John baptizes Jesus. But Luke makes a couple of distinctive observations that actually I hadn't seen before. See if you can spot them as we read from verse 21 in the Gospels in your bulletin. Verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. All four Gospels have John. All four Gospels have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. But where Matthew and Mark focus on the waters opening and Jesus emerging from the waters, Luke says, Jesus was praying. Luke observes, Luke recounts, Jesus was praying. I'd never noticed that before. Well, what was he praying about? It doesn't say, but we can always look for context clues. A text read without a context can be a con. Slightly better response here than at the nine, actually. Only Charlie Chislagi laughed at the nine o'clock. Um, or some say a text without a context is a pretext for a subtext. That is a better line, you're right. All right, so what is happening? The context is in verse 33, sorry, verse 23. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. This is the beginning. He's beginning his work. What's the first thing on his work docket? Defeating Satan in the wilderness. We read that in the following chapter, chapter 4. He's about to face challenging work, so he prays. 
What do we do when we're about to face challenging work? Where I grew up, when you're about to face some challenging work, you stand up and you walk over to the kettle and you put it on and you make yourself a cup of tea. And that kind of like puts it off for at least 10 minutes or so. But Jesus is about to begin his challenging work and he prays. What does he pray for? I'm guessing he prays for help. And surely what happens next is a beautiful answer to that prayer. The heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. It's just beautiful that God makes some invisible things visible. We might see some of that later in the baptism. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. Help comes by God's spirit and in God's voice. With the spirit resting on him, with his father's voice confirming his identity within him, Jesus begins his work. Have you ever been to the beach, let's say in South Carolina, and you see the blue sparkling water spread out before you. Why are they blue and sparkling? Because the sky is blue and the sun is shining. Have you ever been to an English seaside and enjoyed the calming scene of gray waters rippling away to the horizon? Why are they gray? Because they reflect the comforting duvet of clouds hanging over the island. Well, hey, let's face it, the Allegheny River was sparkling blue yesterday. It's returned to its normal hue today. Point being, the waters below reflect the skies above. And in his baptism in the water, Jesus knows the generosity and open-heartedness of his Father. So he opens his heart in prayer, asking for help, for God's Spirit and God's Word. And the heavens open and he receives the Spirit and hears the voice. The opening of heaven, the opening act of Jesus' ministry in this world. He begins his work. And that is the significance of Jesus' baptism. What has that got to do with us? Question two. What is significant about today's baptism? There's the similar theme of new beginnings, but there's more. The baptismal liturgy will remind us of, for example, washing. Father Malad will pray, wash and sanctify him through your Holy Spirit. The liturgy reminds us of rebirth. Father Malad will pray, we would thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it we are buried with Christ in his death. By it we share his resurrection. And today's baptisms are significant in that they show the open hearts of those involved who are responding to the open heart of heaven. In Caleb, we see parents with open hearts in prayer, keen their son receive God's spirit, hear his voice, and begins a life serving him in the world. And that's not to say his heart's not open too. It's not to say he hasn't received God's Spirit before. Surely Jesus had. He was conceived in the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's something special about baptism. It's one of the few things God, through Jesus, commanded his followers to do. Make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God loves to make the invisible visible. And Anglicans talk about baptism as a sacrament, which means it combines an outward and visible sign, the water, with an inward and invisible grace. In the words of our catechism, God gives us the sign as a means whereby we receive that grace and as a tangible assurance that we do, in fact, receive it. If the sign is water, what is the grace? The inward and spiritual grace here is death to sin and a new birth to righteousness through union with Christ in his death and resurrection, which is pretty significant to watch. And here we see the connection between Jesus' baptism and Caleb's baptism. In Jesus' baptism, we see heaven open, the opening act of Jesus' work. And it's because of Jesus' work that the fruit of his work can bear fruit in Caleb's life. In Caleb's baptisms and the ones we saw at the 9 a.m., we see hearts open and the fruits of Jesus' work benefiting the lives of those who receive them. Filled with the Spirit, Jesus defeats Satan and makes it possible for us to receive the grace of washing and rebirth, forgiveness, freedom, and new life. And both Christ's baptisms and today's baptisms are predicated upon that openness of heart, being open to receive that grace. So, question three, what about us who are watching? What could be significant for us? I think the first baptism I went to was actually as a teenager. Didn't grow up going to church, but a friend in this musical ensemble I was in was being baptized, and she invited me to come and watch. And it was in this um, outdoor pool in England, beautiful sparkling gray waters of this outdoor pool. And uh, I didn't really understand what was going on, but it was quite exciting. It was quite intriguing. Got me thinking. A few years later, I became a Christian myself as a student in Oxford, and I was baptized with some other students. And I remember standing there and thinking, is this an active thing or a passive thing? Is baptism active or passive? Am I doing it or is it done unto me? What do you think? It's kind of both, but they're not all at the same time. So in the baptism, you're being baptized, it's passive. Caleb's not going to reach in and grab water and like splash it about. He's going to receive the water as it's sprinkled over him. So we receive baptism, we receive grace, but it's what is fought, it is preceded by actively repenting. So when John was baptizing people in the Jordan, they had repented and were baptized. When I was baptized, I previously turned away from my atheist worldview and lifestyle and I turned to Jesus to listen to him, to learn from him, to follow him, to trust him, to give my life to him. I had repented. And that is what Caleb's parents are doing on his behalf. And we'll hear that as we face these questions. Questions like this. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. We turn away from all that dark stuff. Questions like, do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of the world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? That's interesting. What are the empty promises? What are the deadly deceits that might be destroying and corrupting us? Empty promises like, 
if you just have enough money, you'll be safe. As if money can preserve our health and our relationships. Or deadly deceits like, if you just perform well enough, if you look good enough, you will be loved. We renounce empty promises and deadly deceits. And we have questions like, do you turn to Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior? I do. We look to him. We look to him. We don't look to what's in the bank or in the mirror. We look to the Son, Jesus. Will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? I will, the Lord being my helper. There's that commitment to walk, but recognizing it is only God who can sustain us. We repent and are baptized. Alex, what's all this got to do with your third question? What is the potential significance about today? Well, it's an opportunity for some deep repentance as we see this baptism. We can echo the very words that we hear the family say. And if we have been baptized, life should be one of continual, ba not continual baptism, continual repentance. Because that is how we stay close to God. That's how we walk with him. And if we have not been baptized, repentance is the first step towards doing so. And if you find yourself echoing these words of renunciation and affirmation, if you echo them in your hearts and they are true, come and talk to us about future opportunities to be baptized. So as those who watch, we have this opportunity for deep repentance, but there's more. Jesus' baptism, that opening act of his ministry, presents the reminder that when we face challenging times, and who doesn't? When we have hard work ahead of us, and who doesn't? What should we do? We can put the kettle on and make a cup of tea, but what if instead, or as, well as, we pray, Lord, I need your spirit, I need to hear your voice. Ask the Father, pours out his spirit, that we hear his voice. Are you open to that? But here's the danger. If we ask for his help, if we repent and put our lives into his hands, there's the danger that he may lead us to make some changes. There may be some uncomfortable changes if we take that risk. And many of us are afraid of the changes that he may ask us to make. If you feel that way, you're not alone and it's not unprecedented. So when I became a Christian as a student, I felt God say to me, I needed to end this relationship that I was in. It wasn't helpful. But I didn't know what to do and I wasn't really that motivated and I prayed, Lord, help me. What can I do? In his infinite wisdom, she broke up with me. See, there's always solutions. But I was not the only example. God spoke to Herod through John, remember that? Inviting him to make a serious lifestyle change. What was Herod's response? Verse 19, but Herod the ruler who had been rebuked by him, John, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. If God speaks to you, you can shut him up. And that's what Herod did, he shut up. John, but that's quite a dangerous thing to do. We can find ourselves locked up in resentment, bitterness, 
cynicism, and despair. And to say, shut up, is quite easy when you're like a heron, you can lock up the prophet. And you can kind of say, shut up to me, either out loud or by just not listening. But there are many more subtle ways which we can effectively say, shut up to God, just by filling our days with distractions and never having moments of silence in which he could speak and is speaking if only we could listen. Or maybe just forgetting about reading our Bibles. But what if we were open to the one who calls us? What would we hear? I think we would hear this. We'd hear our name, Beloved. St. Paul, one of the early followers of Christ, described his whole life as this. For me to live is a life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. St. John, another early follower of Christ, in his own gospel, describes himself six times as the, Jesus whom, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because Jesus, the beloved, shares his belovedness with us. And that's kind of what we're really getting baptized into. Into the beloved. And this has been the experience of Christians throughout the ages and across the world. As we meet Jesus, as we meet the beloved, he shares his belovedness with us. The tragedy is so many of us are wired to believe that we are only beloved if, if we satisfy others' expectations, if we look a certain way, achieve a certain kind of success, avoid disappointing. If we put the work in, then we're beloved. Look at the baptisms. Remember Jesus' baptism. He's the beloved. And then he goes to work. He's beloved before he does anything. He's beloved, and then he begins his work. And he offers to share this same belovedness with you. God is calling you, beloved, before you've even done anything. Are you open to him? Can you reflect heaven's openness to you? Imagine him saying your name, beloved. So look at these baptisms, those of us who are watching. Remember that it's Jesus' love for you and his baptism, his work that makes all this possible. Engage in the repentance, echo the renunciations and the affirmations. And pray as we face a challenging year, a challenging week, that we would receive his spirit, hear his voice, and know that we are beloved. Let's pray. Father, you treat us better than we deserve. Thank you for grace, for you. For God's riches at Christ's expense. Thank you, Jesus, that you were baptized and that you completed your work, that you died on the cross, that you rose again, that you ascended into heaven, and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that we can share this belovedness with you. Pray help us to receive your spirit, hear your voice, and follow you. Amen.